All right, church, well, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. And preschoolers, you are dismissed going to the preschool class. We'll see you in a little bit. Romans chapter 6. This week I was reading about the story of a man from Cambodia who left his village looking for work. This young man was newly married uh, and his wife was now pregnant and he needed to earn some money to care for her and the needs of their child. And so his plan was to be gone for a couple of months and make some money that he couldn't otherwise make there in the village and then return and care for his family. And as he got close to the the Thailand-Cambodia border, he met a man who promised him a good job out on a fishing boat that would earn him the money he was looking for. And the young man, upon taking the job, was put out onto the boat and was informed that before he started earning money, he needed to work off the debt to the man who got him the job in the first place. But what the young man realized was that this debt never really went away and it seemed to keep increasing due to a number of different factors to where he could never really work off the debt. Once on the boat, the young man experienced physical abuse and violence and was beaten into submission. He was forced to work around the clock, only given a couple hours a day to sleep and to rest. And what he thought would be two months on the fishing boat that would provide him the freedom and the finances that he desired, it turned into five years of serving a cruel master as a slave. And sadly, this is not a unique story. And as you look into stories of modern day slavery, this is a a common story. Someone is promised a good job, they're promised an opportunity, they're promised more freedom, and they end up becoming enslaved to a cruel master. And this is happening in our country, this is happening around the world. We should pray for and pursue justice and freedom for those enslaved as the Lord would give us opportunity to do so. And the article I was reading, it was titled, Tricked into Slavery. Tricked into Slavery. And you see, because of the presence of sin in our world, it is a far too common storyline for humanity. And I want you to see this morning that this is a problem for all of us as well. We can be tricked into slavery. Now, you have probably never been enslaved on a a Thai fishing boat, but you have at one time been enslaved to sin. And thanks be to God that Christ has rescued many of you out of that slavery to sin, but each and every day, you are now tempted to return to a life of living like a slave to sin. This is what sin does. It promises us big things. It promises us more freedom, more pleasure, more autonomy, more pride, more self-confidence. But in the end, it enslaves us. And it becomes a cruel master. 
We once again are in Romans chapter 6, and we're picking it up in verse 15. And you'll remember Paul in Romans 5, he's proclaimed to us the glorious grace of God, and he's taught us that where sin has increased, grace has superabounded all the more. Which he then follows up with a question that could arise from those hearing about this superabounding grace. Uh, those that hear this amazingly glorious grace of God could have this question. And so he starts at the beginning of chapter 6 and he poses a question and he says, Should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And he quickly answers with a by no means, no way. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that grace is not an excuse for our disobedience. It is, in fact, given, us, given to us by God to empower our obedience. We've been united to Christ. We've been set free from sin. We are dead to sin, which means that sin no longer rules and reigns over us. And now in verse 15 of chapter 6, he asks a very similar question as he did at the start of the chapter, and he's going to continue to try to show us that grace is not an excuse for sin. And anyone who thinks that it is, is being tricked back into slavery. We will be exhorted to not go back to living like a slave to such a cruel master. Because this morning, we are going to learn that we have a better master. That's the title of this morning's sermon, a better master. And what we will see is that true freedom is only found in serving him. So let's pray, let's ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll jump into the passage. Father, these are your people, and this is your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you would work mightily as your word and your truth is proclaimed. May you prepare our hearts to receive this truth, for it to implant in us, for it to bear fruit in our lives. Help us delight in your word, God, today. Help us be the happy and blessed ones who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but instead we want to delight in your word and meditate on it day and night. May we be like trees planted by streams of water this morning, soaking up all the refreshment and life you would have for us, that we may bear fruit in season. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans 6, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? All right, so if, if us freedom-loving, individualistic Americans are not going to be tricked back into slavery under a cruel master, we have to understand the truth of this word here. Right? 
Paul is teaching us that as creatures living in God's world, it is not a question of whether or not we will have a master or Lord that we are serving. The question is, which master will we have? It's not whether, it's which. All right? It's not whether or not we will have someone we're serving. It is which one will we be serving? All right? And so if you're taking notes this morning, this is point number one that you can jot down. And that is that we all serve a master. We all serve a master. It's not whether or not you serve a master. It is which master are you serving? You are either living more and more in the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is your master, or sin is becoming more and more your master. And listen, sin is a cruel master. This means that there's no such thing as a neutral day or a neutral decision. Your day has either been serving Christ and growing in righteousness, or you have been serving sin and becoming more enslaved by it. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones will have a quote of his up on the screen, I think gives a really helpful insight into this. He says, No one stands still morally and spiritually. Just as unbelievers progress from sinfulness to greater sinfulness, A believer who is not growing in righteousness, though never falling back altogether out of righteousness, will slip further and further back into sin. God's purpose in redeeming men from sin is not to give them freedom to do as they please, but freedom to do as he pleases, which is to live righteously. And we've said this before in regards to what true freedom is. True freedom is not necessarily doing whatever you want to do and being whoever you want to be. True freedom is doing what you were created to do and being who you were created to be. True freedom is found in serving the good master instead of a cruel one. But the lie that we believe is that no true freedom is found from running from our good master, running from our good king, and then we'll find freedom. And what happens is we end up becoming enslaved to sin. Spurgeon used to give an illustration about a cruel king who called one of his subjects into the castle and he asked him his occupation and the subject said that, that said that he was a blacksmith, and so the king sent him away and asked him to, to make a chain for him, about a foot-long chain. And so the, the blacksmith thought, hey, this might be a really good opportunity. Maybe I'll get a high position in the court. It seems like it's not a big ask from the king. I can do this, and then maybe I'll have, have more freedom, more riches, all these different things. And so he obeys the king. He returns in a few days with the chain that he has made. And the cruel king looks at it and tells him to double it. It's not long enough. Make it, make it longer. So the, the man goes and he works hard the next few days, next few weeks. He doubles the chain. He comes back to see the cruel king. And the cruel king says, it's not long enough yet. Double it again. 
And he goes back and he works and works and works. And this carries on for months and months and years and years. He keeps doubling the chain. He keeps working for this cruel king. And finally, after the subject is worn down from years of tirelessly serving this cruel king, the cruel king has the man bound up with his own chain and thrown into a fiery furnace. You see, that's what serving sin is like. It's a cruel master. And we, it's a cruel king. And we learn at the end of the passage today that the final wages of it, it earns us death. And you see, we are tricked into slavery to a cruel king because we have convinced ourselves that we can live without the good king. Or we've been deceived into thinking maybe he's not that good. But here's the thing. When you reject serving the good king, you always get a cruel king in his place. And sin, while at first seems like it will give us more freedom, it actually tricks us into becoming slaves. And so maybe, maybe we'll start with an obvious example and work to more subtle examples. Maybe an obvious example of this is with recreational drug and substance abuse. Right? I mean, at first, they promise us escape. They promise us pleasure. They promise us freedom from the pain of the world. But then what happens is we become addicted to them. We need more and more of them. We become enslaved. And now all of our money and all of our relationships are sacrificed to serve this one thing. We see this with technology. If we reject Using technology to serve Christ, right? If we, if we run from the good master, if we, if we turn our backs from using this to serve Christ, then we'll use technology however we want, whenever we want, for, for whatever length of time we want. We have freedom with technology. We can do it all we want with it, right? And then what happens? We become enslaved by it, right? We're unable to function without it. We think about it. We give more attention to it than we want to, but we can't go without it. We see this with our possessions. If we aren't using our possessions to serve the good king, then our possessions start owning us. Now we start living to serve them. And this is why at our household, I mean, we, we try, we don't necessarily do this every week, but we try most weeks before we host city group, before our house is full of, of people running around and, and, and some, some chaos ensues for a little bit, and then we have a really sweet time of city group. But before we open up our homes, we try to get the family together and say, hey, this, is, we, this house is the king's house, right? We, we are serving Jesus, our Lord, through opening up our house. This is, this is what this is about. We're not, we're not serving the house. We're not living for the house. We're trying to use this house for the glory of the king and for the good of his people. But we have to remind ourselves that, right? That this is, we are serving Christ with these things, or else if we aren't serving Christ with them, we end up serving sin. We end up serving self. And we end up becoming enslaved to that. You see, it's not whether you have a master or lord. It is which master do you have. And when you choose to sin, when you choose to reject the good king, you are inevitably choosing to live and serve a cruel king. For sin is a cruel king. It will enslave you. 
It will promise you freedom, but it will bind you up in the end with the chain that you yourself have made. And so, church, who are you serving? Who are you serving? Not, not who, who saved you and who justified you. We've, we've been there through Romans, right? We know these things. We know who justified us and how we stand right before God. But today, who are you serving? In your next decision, in your next day, in the next thing and opportunity you have coming your way, you need to ask yourself, who am I serving? And some of us have served sin so often that it's become just a habit that we responsively do without even giving any thought or a decision to it, right? It's a, it's a circuit in our brain that is like a well-worn path that we just go down time and time again instinctively. But here's the good news. With God's empowering grace, it can be changed. Those cycles of sin and things, it can be redeemed, And one way to cut off that cycle of serving sin is to stop and make a deliberate decision and to pause and to ask ourselves throughout the day, who am I serving? Who am I about to serve as I step into my job? Who am I about to serve as I step out of the bedroom to serve with the kids? Who am I about to serve as I come to church? And ultimately, it has to be Christ, because if it's not Christ, it'll be something else. It'll be sin, and it'll enslave us. The lie is, is that you can be serving no one. Or the lie is that you can be serving two masters. Maybe Jesus on Sunday, something else throughout the week. And Jesus refutes this in regard to money in Matthew 6, 24. It's a very well-known verse. You guys have heard this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot have two masters. You can't serve two masters, and you can't serve no masters. In the end, you are either living like a slave to sin or you are living like a slave of God. And I know that's a weird idea and maybe a confusing concept to be a slave of God. And in these next verses, Paul's going to clarify a bit for us uh, how he's using this term, a slave of God or slaves of righteousness. But because, listen, he's not doing this in a derogatory way. He's primarily trying to show us that we are either serving a cruel master or we are serving the good master. Everyone serves a master. With your next decision, with the next hour of your life, with the next day of your life, who will you serve? Even, I mean, even as a believer who's been justified by God, you will need to wake up tomorrow morning and choose this day whom you will serve. And may God give us the grace to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now the question for those of us who desire to serve the good master is how do we present ourselves in service to the good master? How does this happen? We desire it, but how do we not get tricked back into slavery to a cruel master? And he goes on to show us this in verse 17. 
Romans 6, verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Right? So, so how do we present ourselves to the good master for service to him? Well, to start, let's, let's follow Paul's example in verse 17 where he says, thanks be to God. Don't pass over that too quickly, all right? There is a heart of gratitude here, acknowledging that it was ultimately the work of God in causing people who were once slaves to sin to now want to follow God from their heart. It was ultimately the work of God. Like he's not talking about lip service. He's talking about obedience from the heart and he does not thank the people. He thanks God. It was ultimately God. Now, Paul's not denying human responsibility here, but he's emphasizing and he's grateful for the work of God in being the one who primarily does the saving and redeeming. Like he says in Colossians 1, verse 13, right? He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has done this. He has done this. And Paul, so in Romans, he's thankful. He says, thanks be to God. He's thankful that it is God who causes slaves of sin to now want to be slaves of God. And so don't don't pass over this. God is the one who is thanked when someone is transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. And also don't pass over how important gratitude is in helping us now present ourselves in service to Christ as our Master and Lord. G.C. Burkauer in the 1900s, he's one of the leading theologians in the Netherlands, he once wrote and said this. He said, The essence of Christian theology is grace, and the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. Grace and gratitude. When you come to understand God's grace and you start practicing gratitude, you are well on your way to living like a Christian. And when I'm thanking God for everything that he sends my way, both the good and the bad, both the easy and the difficult, when I'm thanking God for these things that he's bringing in my life, it transforms now the things, things that I, I previously saw that I had to do. It now transforms me to see them as things that I get to do, right? We've, we've talked about this before, but this gratitude to God for both good and bad, both comfortable and difficult things, it transforms how we go about in our service to Christ because now we see these things as not things that we have to do, but things that we get to do. Right? Father, thank, thank you for this difficult circumstance. Thank you for this difficult person. I'm, I'm going to have to forgive in this situation, and I'm horrible at forgiving, and this is an opportunity now that I get to forgive and grow in my forgiveness and to enjoy the forgiveness I have from you. God, thank you for this. All of a sudden now, I'm stepping into a difficult situation. I'm meeting with a difficult person, and it's not about serving my reputation or my pride or my ego or things like this. All of a sudden, I'm stepping in because of gratitude. I'm now going to serve Christ in this. 
But it's done by offering thanks to God. By offering thanks to God, we present ourselves to him and we are guarded from being tricked back into being enslaved to sin. What else does verse 17 say that will help us present ourselves to the good king besides gratitude? Look at verse 17 again. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. This standard of teaching is primarily the teaching of Christ and and the works of Christ, but Paul is also referring to all the teaching the Roman church has received from the apostles and from, from the scriptures. But notice that he emphasizes here not that the teaching has been committed to them and now they can do whatever they want with it. He doesn't say that. He says that they have been committed to the teaching. And so here's where things really start to come together and come into focus a little bit. Here's, here's point number two if you're taking notes. The pursuit of freedom apart from gratitude to God and a commitment to his word leads to slavery and death. The pursuit of freedom apart from gratitude to God and a commitment to his word leads to slavery and death. All right, but the good news, the good news is that through gratitude to God and through committing ourselves to his word, we present ourselves to the better master and we can experience the fruit of real freedom. Right now, because of the work of God, we don't have to be enslaved by our jobs, our vocations, right? We don't have to because of the work of, the, of, work of God. Thanks be to God. We can now give thanks to God for our job, and we can commit ourselves to what his word says about how our work should be a way we worship God. And now we can present ourselves to the good king and enjoy the work that he has given us. Now, because of the work of God, we don't have to be enslaved to sex. Instead, we can give thanks to God for it and commit ourselves to enjoying it and how his word spells it out for us to enjoy it in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. It no longer needs to enslave us. We can now present ourselves to the good master and enjoy what he has given us to enjoy. You see, give thanks to God and commit yourself to his word and then be free to enjoy serving the good master. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. Commit yourself to his word and enjoy serving the good master. Now here's where we need to clarify what Paul's talking about in regards to him using this slavery analogy, all right? He says in verse 18, look back with me at Romans 6, verse 18. He says, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is a kind way of Paul saying we have a limited understanding of divine things. Everyone needs to take verse 19 and be humbled by this a little bit, right? For God does not 
have to, uh, God has to explain things to us in, in much simpler ways than the full reality of it. Because we are finite creatures trying to get our minds around an infinite God, because we are limited in our understanding and our ability to comprehend the eternal truths about God, we have to understand that, that every analogy we see in Scripture, every, every illustration I give during a sermon, it could be said, it could be prefaced with, I'm speaking in human terms because of our natural limitations, right? Now that's, now, that's offensive to some of our egos, talking about our natural limitations. But praise God, the more we are humbled, the more clearly we can see. And when Paul refers to us as slaves of God or slaves of righteousness, he's, he's not saying that following Jesus is exactly like what we think of as slavery as being. I mean, first of all, slavery was very different back in the Roman Empire than it was here in America. There was a lot more indentured servitude, people voluntarily going into slavery to, to pay off debts. It wasn't necessarily based on ethnicity or anything like this. But even if we had a perfect understanding of slavery during the Roman Empire when Paul wrote this, even if we did that, and I thought about going into a long section in here of really trying to understand, even if we did that, it would not give us a perfect and complete and comprehensive understanding of our relationship to God. Paul is using this human term because of our natural limitations. He's trying to help us see that we will have a master and we will either be serving sin or we will be serving God. You can't have two masters and you can't have no masters. We will either be serving sin or we will be serving God. And he's trying to show us how good it is to live with Christ as our Lord, for him to be our master, right? He's, he, he's, teaching, us, he's teaching us that Christ, that God is, is not our slave and servant. I mean, that's, that's how many church people, church-going people maybe live, right? Like, like he's our slave and servant. Like God will do what I want him to do. No, that's like Romans 6 says we are his slaves, his bondservants. And this means that we exist for his glory. This means that we must abandon all our personal rights and sense of entitlement and be at our master's disposal 24-7. We must su submit our will to God's will. Remember the question that he's trying to answer at the beginning of this passage and of the chapter since we have grace, should we continue in sin? He says, by no means. Don't be tricked back into slavery, serving a cruel master. Real freedom is found in serving Christ. Therefore, present yourselves to Christ through gratitude to God, through committing yourselves to his word, and watch the fruit that will be produced in your life. Well, what fruit is going to be produced, you might ask? Let's see in verse 20. Romans 6, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification 
and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't want to get tricked back into slavery to serving a cruel master, consider the fruit that has been produced when you've pursued freedom in your own way. Right? We, we've all done this. We've all pursued freedom and pleasure in our own way apart from God. Think about when you have done that. Think about when you have not lived with a, with a grateful, thankful heart. Think about a time when you were not committing yourself to the word of God and you were pursuing what you want, when you wanted, how you wanted it. What fruit was produced from doing that? I'm guessing it, that it was a lot of things that you could be ashamed of. <clears throat> things that, that you regret and look back on. And, and yes, God can redeem those things and use those things now in your life. But, but when you look at that fruit, that's, that's not the fruit that you want now continuing in your life. Now, because of the good news of the gospel, we should not live in and constantly dwell on past mistakes, past sin, past shameful fruit. But it is helpful when we are confronted with a decision in a, in a time to say, who am I going to choose, God or sin, to remind ourselves where this path goes, to remind ourselves what fruit this will produce. That even though some temporary pleasure might come, we know the fruit that is going to come about. In college, I had a, a roommate freshman year who was just as messy of a person as I am and was. And so upon moving into the dorm, moving outside of the home, I all of a sudden now felt like I had this newfound freedom uh, to, to really just throw clothes any and everywhere. And this is not to say that I even kept a clean room when I was at home, all right? I know I've got accountability here that could call me out on that. But in college, it escalated, right? And especially since my roommate didn't care, um, I had this thing called a clothes tree, which I, th I thought everyone knew about a clothes tree. And I'm assuming not many people do, actually. But it's, it's more like a, a standing coat rack that you can throw clothes on. And so as the semester would go on, all of the clothes that would be in my drawer would just kind of be tossed onto this clothes tree because sometimes you want to rewear things. You don't want to have to wash them. You know, it's the first time doing laundry for my things like this, right? So I'm just throwing and piling clothes onto this beautiful clothes tree that was really flourishing, right? It would, you know, some clothes would fall off, scatter on the floor. You could, you could never see the floor of our dorm room, all right? You didn't know what was under there. You didn't want to know. And every, every couple of uh, times throughout the semester, um, uh, Brittany, who was my girlfriend uh, then, now wife, and she's not in here, so we can, we can talk freely about this. Um, her and her friends, they would come into the room, and, uh, you know, it, there were only a couple of times at, at Cedarville that you could have open dorms, right, where, where uh, girls and guys could be in the, in the dorm. So we usually want to play cards, do something fun together. But when the girls came in and they saw the disaster that had happened to 
our room, like they couldn't do anything until they at least like picked up some things, right? Like they had to start cleaning a little bit. And inevitably what they would find multiple times, they found underneath all the clothes, there was this old, like decaying, moldy fruit that they would find. I don't know why we always had so much fruit in there, but we had a lot of fruit and it was always moldy and decaying, so much so that you couldn't even tell what it was. They're like, I think this is fruit, but I don't know if it was a plum or an apple. I, I, don't, I don't know. This is just awful, all right? Now, that's not a story about the grace of God and that Brit still married me, but God has been gracious. Amen. But I would, I would, in those moments, I would start to feel a sense of shame about this moldy fruit that she was finding. And I, but the worst part about it is that I would actually start to regret that here was a time that we could actually be together. Here was a time that we could have been having good conversations. We could have gone on a walk in the woods. We could have walked around campus. We could have done all these things together. But because of the mess that I made, I was missing out on all that opportunity to know and be with my future wife, all so that she could kind of help clean up this mess I've made and throw away moldy fruit that I had grown. You see, when we pursue freedom, apart from gratitude to God, apart from a commitment to his word, what has likely resulted was fruit that you are now ashamed of. Moldy fruit, and you've made a mess of things. Now listen, Christ can free you from your shame, all right? Praise God for that. But when you are tempted to live apart from serving him, you do need to remember the fruit that that life produces. Sin seeks to control you. It seeks to produce shameful fruit in your life. And while you're not going to lose your justification or lose your salvation, you are going to miss out on sweet communion with Christ. You're going to miss out on all the opportunities to run with him and fight with him and be with him. You're going to miss out on those conversations. You're going to miss out on the prompting of the Spirit. Your your heart's going to be hardened and desensitized to things because of the sin that you're living in. Sin seeks to control you. It seeks to distract you. It seeks to keep you from communing and enjoying Christ to the fullest. And think about this. Think about Think about when we see shameful fruit in others. How how do we respond when we see that? When we see people caught in addictions. When we see people who started out passionate about freedom for women, but who are now passionate about killing babies. How how do we respond when when we see the pride parade go by? Do we, do we roll our eyes? Do we, um, I think some, most of us are not mature enough to have a righteous anger in a lot of these circumstances, I think. Do we see it for what it is? Do we, do we see the slave ship going by? And do we jeer and mock at them? Or do our hearts break for them? Do we call out to them, there's a better master? 
The enemy has, we must understand in those situations what has happened. The enemy has tricked someone into slavery, and now that person is a slave to sin, and shameful fruit is being produced all the more in that person's lives, and our hearts should break for those who have come under cruel masters. We must tell them that there's a better master. And you see, the sad thing about being tricked into slavery to a cruel master is that cruel masters merely seek control for control's sake. Obedience to sin leads to slavery to sin, to shameful fruit, to which now controls you. However, on the other side of things, the fruit that comes from presenting yourself to God is sanctification meaning that you are set apart for God, and in being set apart for God, you are now in the process of becoming more and more holy like him. But the ultimate purpose of that, of being set apart for God, of sanctification, the ultimate purpose of that is not just so that God can control you. No, the ultimate goal is eternal life. And stick with me on this, all right? What is eternal life? God's word tells us, John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, there is better fruit to be enjoyed in serving Christ, our sanctification, our becoming more and more like him, and eternal life, which is knowing God, having a relationship with him, communing with Christ, This is our our last point this morning, point number three. The fruit of real freedom is communion with Christ. The fruit of real freedom is communion with Christ. We don't just dwell on the shameful fruit. We set our eyes on the good fruit that comes from serving Christ. And communion with Christ, that is not something that we have to wait to be enjoyed till heaven or the eternal state. Communion with Christ can start being enjoyed right now. But you miss out on some of that joy if you're living like a slave to sin. But if you have chosen today to serve sin, you are missing out on fully enjoying life with Christ content to live in a messy dorm room with moldy fruit growing. All the while, he's calling you to be with him and to run with him and to go fight and win battles with him and to go join him on his mission in this world. Choose this day whom you will serve. There is such good fruit that comes from presenting ourselves to serve Christ in all things with all of our hearts. We get to enjoy communion with Christ. I read a book recently called In the House of Tom Bombadil. And in this book, the author C.R. Wiley is exploring this character, Tom Bombadil, who's found in The Lord of the Rings, all right? And he's a little mysterious of a character, and many people speculate as to what Tolkien had in mind when he wrote him into the story. 
Uh, he doesn't appear in the movies, uh, only in the books, which is why up until recently I did not know about him, uh, because I used to live as if, you know, if I've seen the movie, why would I need to read the book? Uh, but that's, that's changed. Now, if you haven't read Lord of the Rings, stick with me, okay? Uh, like, up until this point, anytime I heard a pastor start talking about Lord of the Rings, I checked out, because I was like, yeah, I'm not going to follow you on this. But stick with me, all right? It's really, you got, we can all follow this. This is not a Star Trek or something like that, all right? This is Lord of the Rings. It's, I think it's acceptable, okay? All right. So in the book, Wiley contrasts the way that Tom Bombadil exercises dominion versus how the wizard Saruman exercises his dominion. Saruman is all about gaining knowledge from the world in order to dominate and control things. And in one scene, he sets a trap for Gandalf in order to try to make him do what he wants him to do. And that's just a classic cruel master stuff right there, right? Like, how can I control people? How can I make you do what I want you to do? That's how a cruel king or boss or pastor or husband thinks, all right? How can I control this? That's not, the, that's not how Tom Bombadil rolls, though. Tom first appears in the old forest when the hobbits get trapped in the willow trees, and Tom appears hopping and dancing along the path with a blue coat and a long brown beard with a face like a red ripe apple but creased into a hundred wrinkles of laughter. And here's the thing about Tom. He's always singing. He's always singing, and he sings a tune to the willow tree that the willow obeys and releases the hobbits, and the hobbits then go home with Tom and enjoy a feast together. All right, so thank you for following with me. I'm gonna, here's the point, all right? He's comparing these two leaders and masters in the world. One catches things to control them, and another frees them in order to commune with them. All right, I'll say that again. He's it's like one catches things to control them and the other frees them in order to commune with them. And that's my point in bringing this illustration. I'm speaking in human terms because of all of our natural limitations, all right? This is what sin does to us. It tries to catch us in order to control us. And this is what cruel masters and kings and leaders do. They ultimately seek to control for control's sake. And this is what we do when we are cruel masters ourselves. We, we make demands on people that we lead in order to control them. But a good leader helps people be free from sin in order to commune with them. And this should be what happens in our churches and in our homes, right? In our, in our church, we have people coming from all different backgrounds, all different church uh, uh, circumstances and histories. And one thing that people might sometimes get suspicious of is that we have a church membership. Okay? And some people come into it thinking like, man, like you guys must really, they, they come suspiciously because they think we're trying to control them through this. And that's not, that's not true at all. We actually have a church membership because we're trying to commune with you more. We're trying to create unity and community here. We're trying to make sure that as people come in, that they themselves are communing with God and that they know how to commune here with one another. It's not control for control's sake. In fact, when someone becomes a member here, we, we free them, we empower them. Go start ministries, go teach classes, go lead groups. Like now that we have communion with one another, like go and let's, let's do this. 
This is what should be taking place in our churches as well as in our homes. So men, I want you to think about your home. The ultimate goal and your ultimate goal is not to control your home for control's sake. That's how a cruel husband, a cruel king, a cruel leader leads, just for control, for control's sake. The ultimate goal should be to help your household not live like slaves of sin, to enjoy communion with God and communion with one another. This is how I experienced growing up. The more communion I had with my parents, the less rules I had. They knew me. We had a relationship. They trusted me. I was spending time with them. They don't need to tell me every single time I need to be in the door and out of the door and all these different rules. It's actually the less communion you have with someone, the more rules there has to be. Our good master, our Lord, he frees us from sin in order that we might know him and walk with him and abide with him. He frees us from sin so that we would enjoy communing with him forever, and that can start right now. Church, serving him is not restrictive. It is so freeing. It is freeing to serve our good Lord. And church, this does not cancel out anything we've learned so far in Romans. We have been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We stand right with him because we have received the righteousness of Christ. But church, you've got to understand that he justified us. He set us free from sin so that we would commune with him more and more. He's preparing us to enjoy a relationship with him for eternity, and eternity starts now. And every day you are faced with choices where you can decide which master you will serve. Will you serve sin today? Will you serve sin tomorrow? It's only going to lead to more shameful fruit in your life It's only going to lead to you living more like a slave, and it's only going to try to control you more and more. Or will you wake up tomorrow morning, and will you choose to serve Christ? Will you present yourselves to him each and every day, each and every moment? Will you give thanks to him for everything that he sends your way, and will you commit yourself to living according to his word? He's not ultimately trying to control you for control's sake. He's trying to commune with you. All those restrictions and things we see throughout the Old Testament, like zoom out, big picture. He's trying to commune with them. A holy God and a sinful people, he's trying to commune with them. He's not just trying to control them, he's trying to commune. He desires for you to know him and enjoy him and abide in him. So let us not be tricked back into living like a slave again. The gift of grace has been given to you so that you might enjoy eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our master. When the slave traders come this week and make big promises to you, who will be your master in that moment? May you give thanks to God in that moment. May you commit yourself to his word and may you enjoy the fruit of real freedom that is only found in serving the good master, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray.